You're listening to the Rhythm Dribble Basketball Development Podcast. The development podcast that walks you through the long journey of turning your love for basketball into next level success. Helping you enhance your skills physically, mentally, and emotionally to become the best player you can be. Helping families make decisions about this long, arduous journey. Hearing valuable stories from family successes and failures during this exciting but uncertain time. Hi, my name is Daryl Adams. In today's episode, part two of a three-part series, we will continue our conversation about basketball training and the different perspectives of parents and basketball trainers. We'll be joined by Rick Spence for this interesting discussion. Be sure to subscribe to the Rhythm Dribble Basketball Development Podcast. I want to remind you to check out Rhythm Dribble on social media. Like us, follow us, and leave a comment on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Send me your questions to CoachD at RhythmDribble.com, and I'll get to them later in this show or on future broadcasts. The next thing I think that parents and trainers would disagree on is how fast this basketball training thing ought to take. Um, The trainer's position is that it's a slow cook. But I think parents have a totally different perspective. I want to spend a few minutes, uh, Spence, with you just getting the parents' perspective on how fast should this process take of creating a, and not just creating a basketball player, but an effective and a valuable basketball player. If I'm being honest with myself, I can't can't give you a clear-cut answer to that. Um... What I can say is that I do believe the process takes a little too long. Um, that's what that's what, I wholly agree with that. I wish, as I sit back and um, we spend a lot of time in the gym with you um, playing and just all that, uh, it just it bewilders me that you could that a player could spend two years in a gym or two years training and it does not translate into the court. It doesn't It doesn't translate into being a more efficient player, more effective player, which is the goal um, in my eyes. I've seen players, of course, get better at the drills, at the drill set. They become comfortable in that setting. Um, they become comfortable with training. But I go to the games, and they don't impact the game at all. And so I start to wonder, like, is this thing for real? Is, is training for real? Uh, is it a farce? And it, it has to cross your mind as a parent because I, I'm sure if you if you've had children who've done training, it doesn't. You don't always immediately see the results. You become frustrated. So you like. I just begin to think, is is this is this really even worth it? Or is is training all that? Is it even needed? Players in the '80s. Growing up in our era, I don't believe we had personal trainers. You kind of just went out to the park and played, as you kind of mentioned earlier, being in the park. I wonder, is training effective? However, I don't want to get in my own way or get in anybody or get in my son's way, rather. So I still do it, um, even though you have questions whether it's effective, whether it's working. I still do it based on the fact that even if if I'm wrong, and hopefully I am, I don't want to miss out or I don't want to miss out on the opportunity for them. Um, Yeah. Do you, are you aware that us as trainers and the better trainers are actually using a system 
So, well then, just let me ask you, why isn't it faster, right? And why isn't it, as a trainer, I'm asking you, just why isn't it faster? I'll answer this the same way we attack fundamentals. I, I think that, um, again, the better trainers are using systems, right? And and that's obvious to me because if you go on championship production or, or I was a basketball coach and I used to purchase um, uh, coaches, uh, VHSs, so that I can look at their approach to developing basketball players. Just remember series after series and I don't, hundreds. I don't, I don't know, sir. I listen. remember hundreds of tapes listen, I, where um where I thought that they were telling you how to develop kids. So, I think that I think that at your next quarterly regional uh trainer meeting that you go to, you you should ask these questions. I, I've seen a lot of the trainers from this area and I don't know if it's system based. That may be what you prescribe to or what you've seen in those videos, but I don't know. Talk to talk to the crew at your next quarterly meeting. But watch this though. So if one thing I feel really good in 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 vouching for the trainers in this area or 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 nationwide or internationally, I think that we all will agree, we'll come together on this notion that there's a lot to be learned. There's a great deal of things to be learned. And at Rhythm Dribble, it's no different. Okay. Um, there's this long list of non-negotiables, these fundamentals that they cannot be ignored. Um, I think of a couple of things. I think of a, a, a child who plays basketball who is taught to establish their pivot. Their next action is to move the line, move to a new place. It seems like there's a progression, and that progression seems to be really real. Um... There's this idea of shooting the ball so that it doesn't get blocked. There's this fundamental um, skill set. There's this fundamental expectation that coaches have that children progressively get better at dribbling the basketball. So when I think about this list of fundamental first, these non-negotiables, it puts me back in the school system a little bit. And I think uh, so. So let me let me let me jump in. So you 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 ran through a list. What what comes first, right? So that again, I'm trying to see a payoff quicker. So what what should come first? Um. Well, I, I think that's for a future podcast where I dive into some of the things that we that we tend to hold in high esteem, hold in high priority for our young basketball players. But there's some obvious ones that jump out. Dribble, there's this idea of pass, there's this idea of shoot. Think of it at a five-year-old's level, and you'll begin to start to see some of those fundamentals where they don't know much of anything, but the idea of them playing basketball is going to be pretty difficult for them. But let me take it back to school. I just remember the way we learned A, A B, C, D, that wasn't by mistake, right? It seems like every time we started to say it, we said A, then we'd say B, then we'd say C. What we wouldn't do is go to school and start with P and then Q. And, and, and the reason for that is because there is this linear reality to this learning that over time we become more sophisticated, that we're able to build upon some of the lessons of yesterday in order to learn more and be more effective learners going no, into the future. No qualms there. I have no issues with that. Just do it faster. So I'm an engineer by, by nature. Um, that's my profession, um, what I currently do. And so, 
eventually, as you go through a process initially, maybe it's your first time and you you stumble through. Think of architecture and building a and building a house. Now, now when you get a new home built, they come out on a flatbed truck and they'll they'll have it all framed out. They throw it up in less than five days. You can get a um, once I got the foundation poured, the wood portion is already framed out, already nailed on the truck. I kind of just put those pieces together. And so, with that being said, I would think that since you understand this so thoroughly, you understand that I have to start at A and I have to end at Z, and that's fine. But over time, how long have you been in? Um, have you been a personal trainer, a basketball trainer? Maybe fifteen years. So, when my oldest son was 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 a young. Yeah, so fifteen years, right? So I would think by year fifteen, if I've been doing something fifteen years, I've got to find a faster, more efficient way to actually do this. The same way. They used to take three months to build a home or three, uh, 12 months to build a home in the 80s. Now it's a lot faster because they became more efficient. They've they perfected the craft. I would think that training would operate in the same as the same mechanism. I know what needs to be done. So now let's just get there faster. I think the problem is here that that trainees come into the facility and they're all different. All right. And I think that's what we face as trainers. While we want everybody to line up on the baseline, and if I ask them to sprint down baseline to baseline, we'd want them all to get there at the same time, but that's not a reality. And the problem is, as parents or as onlookers, everybody tends to focus on the fastest person. And it's just that, in many ways, they're a different kind of learner. Maybe they are a better athlete. Maybe they are more sophisticated or or emotionally more mature right to where they can take some of these lessons and internalize them really really fast I, I just remember that when my first round of kids some 15 or so years ago where I had a nephew he would come down from New York and and the rest of us would have trained for the entire week conceptually um, in preparing for a game for the weekend and while, while everybody that was down here would struggle because I'm looking to see this new concept implemented uh, on Saturday morning in a game. And ironically, my nephew, who just had been there for a few hours the night before, he immediately implements the new concept into his ball game. Whereas the other guys, it seemed like it would take them a long time to be able to get it into their into their ball game. So when I look at it as a race, I think that a lot gets lost. I think every kid runs their own race as it relates to this to this development thing. And I think that the worst thing I could do is rush them because there's too much at stake. I think a trainer's job in the, in the beginning is to teach these fundamental, what I call prerequisite skills. And it's not until a trainee or a young basketball player understands and, and reduces these fundamentals to instinct before we as coaches or we as trainers can parlay what they already know into higher level concepts that actually translate into the ball game. So rushing for me, it seems risky because without prerequisites, without this solid base of skill, it's hard to expect that the child 
is going to be able to meet the expectations of a coach at what you call an application level, which I call the game. And the, and the reason why it's not going to work is because the other team that we're playing against is not going to cooperate. They're going to play hard defense. They're going to recognize the weaknesses and they're going to try to capitalize on some of the weak some of the weaknesses. So in, in the end, my concern is that when a child is asked to perform, that in no fault of their own, they're not going to be able to do it. And I just remember, and, I, and I'll let you take over in a sec. I just remember I was playing ball in PG County. And what, what year was this? I don't know. No, I had a team. I took <laughs> oh, a team okay. out. I oh, wasn't okay. playing. All right. All right. Thank you. Thank you. No, I can play. Don't, don't worry about that. Don't get it twisted. <laughs> but the idea was I took a team of, of kids out of Anne Arundel County, and we went down to PG County, and we were playing in a tournament. And it was a team out of Northern Virginia that we were playing against. We were beating them kind of badly. And I remember this is the first time this ever happened, probably to anyone as a coach. But the coach from the other team came over, and he whispered in my ear, um, he came across the scores table and whispered in my ear, can I take the press off of his team? And the reason why is because we were beating him badly and he, he said that he wants to work on some things. And while the better part of me would have considered it, the problem is that I'm working on something uh, with these Anne Arundel County kids to be aggressive and and to defend at a high level so that when they play some of the higher level teams back in PG County, that we can begin to win some of those tougher games. So while the coach from Virginia had great intentions, that was very difficult for, for me to be able to do. I got it. I got it. So you mentioned Rush um, a number of times as you kind of um, as you kind of had your, your side of things. And I will say that. As I've kind of been at this thing with you for um, a, a couple of years, I have matured in some aspects as a as a parent who who's going through this journey, and um, I do agree on that point. Although I would love you and every other trainer out there to be faster, um, I've had to just step outside of myself and I ask the question, "What's the rush?" And really, there isn't the the boys are currently 11 years old. So what they what they're doing right now really doesn't matter. So that that pulls me off the ledge from saying, "D, you got to be better. This has to be better, has to be faster." Because as I step away and if we happen to lose a game or um things aren't going well, it really doesn't matter at this juncture. And so that's the thing that I'll keep deep in the back of my head that I've been able to obtain over years is that no one, no one really cares right now. There's no, you have no NBA coach at the at 11 year old um, AAU game. Um, they can't go to college right now. They can't go to the pros right now. So that that keeps me at this journey and saying, just let the process take its course. I would give that advice to other parents uh, listening in the audience now. Is that no matter, I know it may be frustrating as it it, it happens to me often is that it really doesn't matter right now. Is, is there, a, a, I guess, a point where we're looking to, for you as a trainer, where you say, okay, now this thing has to start paying off for us, right? We've kind of been at this journey. What's, what's, the, what's the time frame in your eyes that it really has to start paying off? 
I think that it's different for different people. Some kids are just wired differently. The payoff for you, I'm certain, as it is for many parents, is they go out and they play a heck of a basketball game um, <laughs> and they're a major contributor to a major win in a major tournament. At, at this age, at, at 11 years old, or are we talking about... I, I can't answer. Remember, I see a lot of kids at a different age. For sure. At different sure. ages. But I do think for you guys that the test for you is how do they perform when the family gets dressed up and goes to a tournament <laughs> on Saturday morning? But I think that we're asking for trouble if we think that we should skip the body of fundamentals, these prerequisites, so that we can... Who said that? I never said that we should skip the fundamentals. I just want you to get through them faster. Well, sure you did. By suggesting that it might be going too slow. By suggesting that there may be a problem with the process. Um, I think that I just want to warn parents that there's going to be a point where the child plays high-level AAU or they try out for high school or they uh, have plans to go to a college and at those moments, those coaches are going to expect for them to have high-level fundamentals. I was a math teacher in high school, and it was obvious to me when students came in from middle school and had a poor foundation, and the reality was algebra was going to ask for a lot of those computation skills. And the reality is you learn really fast that in order to be good at algebra, you have to have good fundamentals in addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division. And as a result, many kids couldn't make the grade, right? So what, what happens to me is I am in a position where I can imagine the child that has worked all of this time at this thing, and because they don't have fundamentals in basketball, no coach can build higher level concepts on top of it and that's what scares me about about the children so while i don't have a specific time and the answer is that it's different for different kids i feel very very comfortable saying stick to the fundamentals because there's going to be a moment that they're going to be available to work for you while you may be waiting for emotional maturity, while you may be waiting for physical maturity, while you may be waiting for an opportunity, fundamentals are the only thing that you can hang your hat on. And I will say this, that I think children, many children in this situation, where they have been lifelong trainees, right? So they've been around a trainer since they were really young, right. and a lot of years have gone past. I do think it's okay to hold us accountable for sure that those kids or those trainees should have high level fundamentals i'm not saying that they that you can hold us accountable for them being basketball stars but you can hold us to the fire for a child that's been around us a long time and they they can't exemplify high-level fundamentals. And so I guess with that being, I do agree with that portion. The 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 biggest thing, I guess, the crux of it that, that provides all the anxiety in times of th this time thing where we're discussing, right, this entire, uh, this entire show, this entire episode, is that there's a finite amount of time. You, you mentioned waiting for this, waiting for that, 
Well, there's an hourglass ticking. It's been turned over. It got turned over when they were five. And when they get 16, 17, somewhere around, it's going to expire, right? And they've got to be ready. So that finite amount of time is, is ticking. And so you've got to get it done before that hourglass runs out. And with you saying, well, it's a process and you got to wait and you got to do this. What happens when that hourglass is empty and you still think it's time to grow? Who, me, the trainer, thinks it's still time to grow? Yes. I, I don't know. I, I, I think the best way to talk about this is the school system. I was a teacher for many years. And I think the school system provides a great, a great analogy to your, to your computer background where, you, where you're around systems and you watch systems improve over time. Um, I just think of public school. I think of a bunch of first graders who go to school and they're expected to achieve this long list of standards and core concepts. And by the end of the school year, they're expected, uh, with the help of many teachers, to get these kids there, right? Get them to the place where they understand the standards that are going to be built upon when they get to the second grade. But the reality is that some kids don't make it. And then we do it all again. The same thing happens in the second grade where these bunch of kids come in and they're expected to achieve, again, this bit more sophisticated list of standards and core concepts. And while you have these teachers who are trying to get them there, there's another group of kids that don't make it. And this goes uh, so on and so forth until graduation. What's right about schools is their understanding and also their attempt at collaboration. Uh, what I remember about collaboration is that's where the best classes were. The best class that we remember historically had teachers who were willing to allow us to kind of interact and get up and move around in order to get to a goal by the end of the classroom. Those teachers were able to access emotion at a high level. And anything can be taught where emotion, where high level emotion exists. I think what's wrong with the educational system is the who's teaching it and the what are, and the what are they learning. Uh, Rhythm Dribble has kind of taken this stance that we need to take what's good about education and we need to parlay it. And then we need to take what's bad and build upon it. Uh, we've mirrored the collaboration effort where what we feel like is because of the high level of emotion and the use of each other and the collaborative effort. Is this, is this what you're referring to group training when you say collaborative effort? Is that what yes, you're I'm about? referring to group training. Okay. This idea that you have somebody banging against somebody. The idea that, that where, where emotion, excuse me, where a uh, uh, trainee can't quite find a level of emotion to get through the day, there's somebody in the group that can kind of pull the group, pull so the group that along. That is one thing I do appreciate about Rhythm Dribble um, is that I, often I see um, different trainers kind of like using cones and I'm kind of individually just like dribbling around those things. So to have, I guess you've referred to it uh, previously as a sparring partner, I, I do believe that that does help out the, uh, the development of the child. It's hard for me to um, to play down the idea that um, how Rhythm Dribble trains and how we select the people who are going to train it and train them and what we choose to develop at a fundamental portion of 
of a child's development, how that can't move a child to the point where they're ready to graduate the program and get into the more the higher nuances of the game of basketball. And this takes me back to your to your hourglass and, and the identification that there may be a finite amount of time. Oh, um, there certainly is a finite amount of time. I, I think that I have to remind you that there there are no guarantees in the sport of basketball. And and my advice to everybody is to give a hundred percent effort into the process, especially early on, so we can get these fundamentals out of the way. And I use fundamentals a lot in this in this podcast just because I'm a stickler for it. I think if you have them, then you're free to learn. And I think if you don't, then I think that you're going to struggle at some point in your development. And I think it's important that I mention this as well, that some people are going to benefit in life and all the other areas of their life in oh, excuse me as a result of what they've learned through this basketball development process it's not just for basketball players but instead it it can create some of those positive characteristics that we all want from our children so i think that's important to identify as well but in terms of you making the cut in terms of you being where you want to be, where the, where the goal says that you ought to be, then I think you've got to give 100% into this process or some process, some system, and then in order to give yourself a, very, a, a fighting chance. Yeah, I, I could definitely appreciate that. So as we start to wind this thing down, I will say the one thing about... Uh, I do appreciate the sparring um, and, and having some an opponent to kind of train with. However, um, as you mentioned earlier, right, as, as um, you mentioned putting two kids on the line and having a race to another line, and they're not going to get there at the same place. Within group training, there is some some cases where an individual may be developed in, in one aspect of the game, like their... Maybe their dribbling is a little bit more sound as they come in, or maybe they can shoot the ball a little bit better. So if I spend a bunch of time if it, within a group setting, I may have, um, being in the gym with you, I may have 12 people in my group, maybe up to 20 in, in terms of the entire group. And maybe I'm working on something that I'm not really deficient in. I think that can sometimes elongate that process, right? So if we're looking at becoming more efficient, um, I would I would point there that that's where I would look initially is to say, well, I kind of have this piece down. I can I can dribble sufficiently. I can control my ball. I can handle pressure. So then, what's the next facet of the game that I should hone on in? But because I'm in group training, you as a trainer or whoever else within the facility may not be able to easily identify that portion. That hey, he's kind of got this knocked out. We've got to. Um, we've got to now start working on this facet of the game, but nobody else may be there. So that's my only, I guess, qualm about group training. Um, and I know there's personal one-on-one training and then um, smaller groups, but in terms of large group, I believe as in, as an infancy, yes, you've got to start there for sure. No way around that. However, sometimes you may get lost in the shuffle and elongate that process because I may, as you as you mentioned, everyone's not equal. So I may pick it up just a little bit quicker than everyone else. However, I'm kind of stuck in this group format until it's identified. And maybe it gets identified early on and maybe not. While I hear you, 
I, I see both sides of the coin. Um, you'd have to look at a child or a trainee in an individual training session that hasn't quite matured to that point. What you can't have in a 40-minute or hour-long, however long their individual session is, you can't be in an individual training module working on things that they should have picked up in large group fundamental training session. Oh, okay. That's my concern. But why not? It's, I, it's a private session. There's an efficiency issue, right? I'm telling you that the learning takes place where there are high levels of emotion. It's difficult to access high levels of emotion from everyone. Or how about this? From the typical child... It's hard to get them to operate at this high, high level when they're the only one in the session. Okay. And I think it's a waste of time. I think it's a waste (laughs) of money for somebody to be dribbling in an individual where instead we could access a whole new level of the same dribble if they were in a large group training session. It's just because of the emotion. It's just because of If I'm thinking about quitting because I'm tired, I can look to my left and I can look to my right and I can see see that they're going through the same thing I'm going through and now I'm able to get through it. Now, I do think that individual small group training does have a place uh, in terms of supporting the emotion of the large group. But I think that the real learning needs to take place where it can be most effective and most efficient. So when should, in your opinion, when do I trans? When do I leave large group and get into a smaller group? When you meet the requisite skill. So when you can exit because you are proficient at the large number of, excuse me, the large list of things that we require for you to be successful at. When you reach that threshold, then I think that you should be pushed out. In fact, you'll know. When it's your turn to get out of there. It's not as ambiguous as a feeling. Instead, it's your proficiency, your mastery of a list of skills that now can be parlayed into high level order and high level concepts that can make you successful in basketball. Okay. Makes sense. Makes sense. Definitely. I'll leave you with this. I have this image of a really dominant six-year-old. Okay. Um, who, for whatever reason, is no longer dominant at nine years old. Athleticism. Well, I think the game has changed, right? It's no longer asking him for the same skills that they were asking for at six years old. I think that that trend remains the same. The The older they get, the more mature they get, the longer they play, the game is going to ask for higher level things from them. It's my fear that a trainee under my tutelage is not going to be able to meet the standard when the time comes. And that's why I push so hard that people give everything they have early in the process so that we can get closer or as close as possible to a successful place in basketball. All right. Um, yeah, okay. I could I could appreciate that. 
Um, yeah, that makes sense. And I guess all I can do is just keep um, helping them, keep hoping that the, the process becomes more efficient. But I certainly understand that you've got to grasp all the concepts and all the fundamentals uh, and that there's no guarantees within this thing. Stay tuned for part three of a three-part series with Rick Spence and our discussion about parental perspectives versus trainer perspectives. Also, be sure to like us and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to leave a comment. Let us continue to evolve this product so we can meet the exact needs of trainees, families, coaches, and trainers. Again, I'm your host, Daryl Adams. You've been listening to the Rhythm Dribble Basketball Development Podcast. I look forward to talking to you guys next episode.